Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week, two newly elected public officials whose work could have big effects on the lives of Southern Arizonans. When Arizona's latest round of elected officials were sworn in last week, many of them were taking offices they'd never held before. That's true of U.S. Representative Juan Siscomani, who represents Arizona's 6th District in the U.S. House. The Republican lawmaker is not a stranger to government. He held various positions in former Governor Doug Ducey's administration, but this is his first elected position. I started our conversation by asking him about his first dose of Washington politics, taking part in the historic 15-round vote for Speaker of the House. Sure. Well, listen, thank you for having me on. I hope this is the first of many. Uh, I'm all about showing up and reporting back. As as a freshman anywhere, uh, you're still learning and finding out anywhere from from where's the nearest restroom to, you know, what's the quickest way to get to the floor and whose who's seat I don't want to be sitting on, although there are no assigned seats. You obviously have, you know, seats that people prefer and they preferred them for years, so you don't want to be that guy. Uh, so uh, a lot a lot of things that, that I'm learning and, and that it's uh, very exciting. I'll start real quick with really the family being here. We we came up here with the family and did New Year's here in D.C. We hadn't had any time off since the campaign, really. So it was a nice moment for us. This is where Laura and I met when we were interns right after college. So we were able to take the kids to all the places that we used to visit as uh, as broke interns in Washington, D.C. And uh and now we're, you know, I was an intern here in 2003, and now we're back 20 years later as a member of Congress. So it's it's just letting them know that the American dream is alive and that it's it's uh, here for everyone that wants a shot at it. And then, of course, the, the floor activity and excitement didn't disappoint. It was exactly what we, um, it's in some ways anticipated to some extent. We knew that it wasn't going to come in the first ballot and, and it might have taken more more votes than we wanted it to. And that's, a, that's what happened. We weren't expecting it to go 15, to be honest with you. At least I, I wasn't. And I was able to give a, a nominating speech on, on the record-breaking uh, vote, which was the 10th one. Uh, last time we had something like this was in, in 1923, that it went nine votes. And now it went 15 votes. But on the 10th vote, I was able to give a nominating speech. So listen, it was a, a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and historic, and, and I was here for it. What was it like to give that nominating speech? That is not something that always happens, especially for incoming freshman lawmakers. You weren't even technically a lawmaker at that point because nobody could get sworn in. Yeah, everybody was a member-elect that week. Everyone. So whether you'd been here for you know years or, or just arrived like we had, everybody was a member-elect. And I was asked to give that speech. Things at that point were pretty contentious. They we have gone nine rounds without without a any any kind of movement. It seemed like uh, although there were talks and, and and things happening on the side, the vote didn't reflect any change. And they asked me to to just give a speech. Really, no guidance on what to say or anything. It was just go go give the reasons why you're voting for Kevin McCarthy, and you know you and say yes, and then. Very, very frank with you here, Chris. I mean, as the as the time is getting closer and closer, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm about to give a floor speech. You know, I mean, this is kind of surreal. And the moment that it hits you is when 
when the clerk says, for what purpose is the gentleman from Arizona rise? And you're like, that is me. That is the gentleman from Arizona. So you just go right into it. And I really spoke from, from what we had put on paper, which was what's on my heart. I, I, I had a lot, a lot of guidance on what we were going to say. And I wanted it to look a certain way. It had to be a message about, about who I, I am so people could know why I was supporting uh, uh, now Speaker McCarthy. And I, and I talked about the thing that I talked about through the entire campaign, which was the American dream, opportunity, and, and why we're here and how someone with my story could, could be here. You, you got to think about something. When we finally took that oath, Chris, the, the last time I took an oath to the Constitution, and I apologize for that, that's, those are uh, four votes, but as um, the last time I took an oath to the Constitution was when I became a U.S. citizen. And the next time I take the oath to the Constitution is when I'm becoming a U.S. congressman. So that that picture is what America is all about. Since there are floor votes, let's move forward a, a little bit, if we will. The first floor vote uh, on a bill was dealing with the IRS and and pulling back some some things that had been passed previously, uh, reducing the number of agents do you think that was a good thing for the first vote uh, of this new House, uh, especially because there's inflation, there are border issues, Ukraine, so many things? Uh, what do you think about that as the first issue? Well, I'm I'm actually very happy that that was the first issue. We Many of us ran, ran on that notion of unwinding a lot of the harm that the Biden administration has done. And this was a big one. This was one that May, didn't make any sense. It didn't benefit anyone that that surely I represent. I we keep we kept hearing this in the campaign of why are we hiring eighty seven thousand more agents that are going to be um, coming after uh, the small businesses and so on. We should be putting those resources almost eighty billion dollars into other areas. And th there's this was the demand of my district. They wanted this, and and I was proud to be a a yes vote on that as as the first one. I think it set the tone. Uh, of what we're going to do up here. Obviously, that still has to go through the Senate and get signed by the president. Senate run by the Democrats. The president's a Democrat. What do you see in in your vast experience of a week uh, up there as the possibilities of bipartisan work, especially with a split Congress and the margin for Republicans is very close in the House and a Democrat in the White House? Well, it's going to be a battle, no question about it. And th this is, again, why it was so important for us to win the House, even by the slim majority that we have. It needs to add those checks and balances. And right now we have we have obviously the House, the Democrats still have the Senate and the White House. Um, and this this really forces both sides to come to the table on solutions that actually work for the country. No longer can the Biden administration run without any kind of accountability. Two of the main things that the House brings in terms of the checks and balances that not even the Senate is able to do is one, the money bills start here. So this is where the where the, the money bills are, are born and we control, we have the power of the purse. That's one big aspect of that. And then the second is the oversight of the executive branch and the agencies, like the failures in, um, in, in Mallorca's team and all, all that they haven't done. These are the kind of oversight and accountability measures we're going to bring. So although we're looking at a split Congress and from the White House as well, it, it, there is going to be 
obvious discussion there on, on getting to solutions. But at the same time, I'm optimistic that we're going to be able to move the needle in a lot of ways like like this one and, and the oversight. What do you see as issues that party politics will be put aside on and Congress will work? It's never unanimous, but, uh, you know, as as a large body, you know, what are those bipartisan issues? Well, I really hope that that our friends on the other side can see the value of independence, of energy independence. This is one that has been a factor of inflation that we're facing. And we have some, we have a lot of work to do in this area. So th this is something where we should be able to find common ground. Also standing up to um, to the CCP and, and really China's overpowering of, of uh, both the economy and security measures, what, what happened with, what's been happening this whole time and in terms of the, the threat that China poses to our both national security and economy. I, I think these are areas that you can see that. We passed a, a committee, we formed a committee on China oversight and th this is something that had bipartisan support. So we're already seeing some of this. Uh, again, when it's about protecting uh, our, our our borders and protecting our national security, I, I hope that this is something that we can find common ground in. I know you heard about this on the campaign trail, and you represent one of the handful of border districts, uh, southern border districts, at the very least, you know, in the in the House. What have you heard as you've you know been up there and talking with colleagues about the possibilities of something border related getting through or getting proposed at the very least? Yeah, this was also one of the priorities, not only of my campaign, but it was one of many, many of, of people that won across the country. It definitely has been one of Speaker McCarthy when he laid out his commitment to America. Uh, communities that are safe was was a big part of it. And it is the the the, the crossing and, and the border security piece. It's also the fentanyl issue that we're seeing in communities all across the country. But in Pima County, where I live, it's a leading cause of death among young people. And this is coming from, from our, our southern border, unfortunately. And it has a lot to do with the lack of enforcement from the Biden administration on this. So I, I really do see, and I'm optimistic that we're going to see something. And, and there's going to be debate around it. And there should be on the on the best way to go about it. But it needs to be, it needs to be strong. And it needs to be, uh, you know, it's important for me to note that when I look at the border, Chris, I, I'm not just, it, it's... Um, it's the different buckets of this. You have immigration, that's a border issue. You have trade and commerce, that is also a border issue. And then you have uh, security, which is definitely a border issue. So when you look at these three, I'm looking at where they overlap, where they have to be dealt with separately. But living on the border for us, it's natural to understand the difference between someone crossing back and forth to shop or to do business, the person that is wanting to come over to work for a season or to come over and maybe move here and pursue the American dream the way that my family did it, or the person that is um, that is fighting the, the drug cartels uh, on the border. There are three separate conversations that, again, in some areas that overlap and, and some they don't. And when this comes natural to you by living on the border, uh, it's something that I, a perspective that I can bring to Congress and say, listen, there are differences and there are similarities in the conversations here. And, and that's one of the, the perspectives that I wanna bring in and inject here in, in this team. 
when you talk about that perspective and the nuance of the border that those of us who live close to the border and in here in southern Arizona, as you said, understand that maybe a representative from Massachusetts does not understand. One of the issues that always comes up is asylum seekers. Do we have some sort of moral obligation to deal with asylum seekers? Because, as you said, there are different types of people moving back and forth across the border, and that's just one of them. There are. There are asylum seekers. There are guest workers. There are refugees. There are people that are visitors, tourists, uh, people here on work visas for a season. There are people that come here to uh, study. And uh, there are people like in the human sector that cross back and forth every single day. The, the asylum seekers are, are one particular area of it that, quite frankly, that that criteria has been uh, exploited and abused by by uh, by the lack of enforcement on, on really the needs that, that we have. I think that the cartels and others have noticed that and they've 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 abused it. You combine that with a weak border policy or no border policy from from the Biden administration and and uh, leaving gaps uh, on the protection of our country and not investing in technology. It's all a very bad combination. And that's why you see the numbers where you see them. This is a system that is broken down in so many different ways. Like I said, and depending on how people are trying to enter the country legally, there are even different ways to do that. So we need to look at the bigger picture when we want to tackle this issue. As we wrap this up, this is your first elected office, but you worked for the Arizona-Mexico Commission. You worked for Governor Ducey for a long time. So elected office is not new to you. But when you walked in, what what did you learn that, boy, maybe you thought you knew, but you didn't or surprised you in a good way or a bad way as you became Congressman Siskamani? Well, you're absolutely right. You know, working for the governor and being in senior staff, you think you're as close as you can get to being in the actual seat and, and you understand the pressures and, and and you get it, you know, until you realize that you don't get it until your your name is 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 on the wall and, and the buck stops with you and every decision you make has real impact in your community, your family and your country that, that there's a there's a, a weight of responsibility on our shoulders that you only can understand once you actually have it and, and you're living it. And it's humbling. It's um, it, it's a it's a constant reminder that why we're here and that whatever we do has a real impact, which is why I will continue to keep my ear on the ground uh, in southern Arizona, obviously, and living there and being from there. Important to note that my chief of staff is stationed in the district. She's from Tucson. Born and raised, actually, so is her family and her husband and her husband's family. Strong roots in in the region. Ran the campaign and now is is uh, chief of staff in the district. That was important for me to send that note and saying the district is the priority, and and that is again the constant reminder when we walk in here on saying you know things are different. Uh, staffing someone and being part of a senior staff is definitely a privilege and and a, and a high honor. But my gosh, when when you're the elected official and people are counting on you. It's, it's a whole different world, but I embrace it, and, and I'm going to give it my best shot every single day. I can tell you that. Well, good luck, and thanks for spending some time with us. I know we'll talk more over the next two years, <laughs> at the very least. Look, look forward to talking again, all right? That was Congressman Juan Siscomani. Not long after we spoke, Siscomani received his first committee assignment. He's now a member of the powerful House Appropriations Committee. You're listening to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. 
we're talking to two newly sworn-in lawmakers whose decisions will likely impact Arizonans. Governor Katie Hobbs may be new to the ninth floor at the state capitol, but she's held a number of elected positions before. She was the previous Secretary of State and spent eight years in the legislature before that, ending those years as the Arizona State Senate Minority Leader. I started our conversation by asking her about her first actions in office, three executive orders dealing with discriminatory hiring, homelessness, and elections. Well, our budget comes out on Friday, and you'll see, um, not necessarily on the non-discrimination order, but the other areas, um, dollars directed uh, to support um, housing and homelessness, um, and certainly uh, a lot of the other priorities that I touched on in the Save the State address um, will be uh, reflected in the budget. So a new group of state lawmakers was sworn in this week, and Republicans have a slim majority in the legislature. When you were giving your State of the State address yesterday, a number of Republicans walked out when you spoke about abortion. Others stood and turned their backs on you when you spoke about education. Is this going to be a uh, difficult bipartisan group to work with? Honestly, I think these antics are more a concern for the Republican leadership than they are for my office. I've had encouraging meetings with both um, uh, Speaker Toma and President Peterson, and they acknowledge the need to work together. They acknowledge the issues we're facing are are issues we need to tackle together and and we need to find common ground. And so I'm hopeful that we can do that. Uh, Otherwise, it's going to be a pretty long four years. (laughs) You talked in in your inaugural speech about working across the political aisle. You brought it up a couple of times during your State of the State address. As you said, you talked to leadership. Have you talked to any of the rank and file? How how do they feel about reaching out across that political aisle? Yeah, as many opportunities as I've had. uh, And I think there's an an acknowledgement that that voters want us to work together to tackle these tough challenges. They're tired of the partisan games. Our political landscape is the most divided it's been. Um, and this is, I see it as an opportunity to to really um, uh, put that aside and tackle these issues and deliver for Arizonans. When it comes to bipartisanship and, and working across the aisle, of course, part of the executive power is that veto pen. You made some promises to veto some things uh, if you didn't like them. Is that a tough road to be on when you're trying to get people to work with you? Well, I think I want to clarify. It's not whether I like something or not. It's whether I think it's the right thing for Arizona and whether it re- reflects what what I heard from Arizonans um, that, that that they wanted to see. Um, abortion is a perfect example. I've made no bones about the fact that I will veto any further restrictions on um, access to reproductive health care. Um, and that is, I think, something that is with it well within the mainstream of what Arizonans want. Um, and so I, I think there's a balance um, where, you know, there's those ideals that you stand by um, that that protect fundamental freedoms and represent the will of the voters. Um, and then there's the the times where um, that veto pen is, is a negotiating tool. In your speech, you talked about water. You released a report that you said the Ducey administration was holding on to that indicated part of Maricopa County does not have that 100-year supply of water that it's supposed to have. Of course, we can't legislate water into existence. So how does the state work on this? We need to have an all hands on deck approach. I mean, the governor, the previous governor 
put a lot of resources into this potential desalination project um, that is a long time down the road. It's going to cost enormous amounts of money. It will make water um, unaffordable from that project. Um, and we have to look at more immediate solutions and that includes conservation. And there's many projects that are ready to go right now. Uh, it includes um, innovative ways to augment water supply um, <clears throat> and modernizing our infrastructure uh, so that we're not losing uh, water through um, through the infrastructure uh, and making sure that we are getting our fair share of the Colorado River water. You mentioned also in your speech active management areas. Cochise County had two on the ballot in November, one approved, one not approved. How do you want to help support and encourage, it sounds like, active management areas for water that already are not under AMAs? Yeah, I mean, I think that local communities should have the the ability to control their their future in that manner. And they'll have the support of my administration to do that, including with funding to help establish those um, active management areas. On the campaign trail, uh, flipping gears a little bit, you talked about the border. It's obviously a big issue. President Biden uh, made his first trip to the border over the weekend. You mentioned that in your State of the State address. And you said during the campaign that one of your roles was to lobby the federal government when it comes to the border. So so what are you telling the White House, our, our congressional delegation, the members of the Senate right now? Or what will you tell them? Yeah, I mean, I've had encouraging conversations with uh Secretary Mayorkas with um, White House officials. Um, I'm incredibly encouraged by the president's visit to the border. I think what I've tried to communicate um, just based on my conversations with leaders in our border communities is that they they want to feel like the federal government hears them and understands the issues they're facing as a result of Washington's failure to act on, on this immigration issue for so long. Um, it's you know unfortunate, it's been politicized. And I think there's a lot to be said about approach. Um, the former governor opted to engage in a lot of political stunts um, that weren't solving real issues. Um, and I think whether or not I agree with the Biden administration's approach, um, we need to work together to address the issues that are facing Arizonans. I think they're willing to and they want to. And I continue to be encouraged. It sounds like there are some things you might not agree with uh, with the Biden administration. Anything in particular? Oh, no, I just I, I just that was a hypothetical. Um, there are probably going to be times we don't agree. So one of the things you mentioned in your state of the state speech was wanting to support local law enforcement, especially in border communities when it comes to border issues. How how is the state going to support local law enforcement? Governor Ducey had put in the border strike task force. Is that the type of thing you're looking at? Well, I think we're gonna. Um, you'll see some some action in our budget that that repurposes the funds being utilized for border strike force, so that they're actually um, focused on on the border and that cooperation with the local and federal um, law enforcement that um, is is on the border. Um, the the governor. There's also been a, a large pot of money set aside for border security issues. The governor unfortunately wasted about $170 million of that with his border wall that he's now taking down, um, the previous governor. 
uh, that money could have been used uh, for direct needs in those communities, um, helping address influx of migrants that come into communities unhoused without resources. Um, and that's what I'm hearing from local leaders that they really need us to focus on. You also spoke about education, and it's always a big topic during the legislative session. We've seen some Republican efforts to regulate issues like pronouns and names, first bill filed in the state Senate. You're pushing for lifting the uh, aggregate expenditure limit. How do you think education is going to go this uh, session? Well, we have to address the aggregate expenditure limit. Um, we cannot keep pushing our school, our school, dis our district schools to the brink every single year. Um, and uh, as things have gotten more expensive, this is an antiquated cap that we are going to hit on every single year. Uh, we need to look at ways to permanently repeal this cap. Um, but in the meantime, let the schools spend the money that you appropriated for them this year. Um, don't force these closures or potential teacher layoffs. Um, and uh, I think there's urgency from everywhere uh, to, to address this. You mentioned uh, a bill filed by a Republican uh, on the, the aggreg aggregate expenditure limit already. This is a bipartisan issue. Yet the Republican response, they pushed back and said, Governor Hobbs is pushing for it too fast. We're going to be deliberate and take our time with this, but we'll get it solved. How do you respond to that? Great. Solve it. I mean, they were supposed to come together in special session before um, the new year to do that. Um, it didn't happen. Um, if they want to solve it, they, they can do that right now. They can do it today. You also mentioned in your state of the state uh, revising a policy that gives more money to schools that perform well on standard tests. You want to flatten that out. Why do you want to do that? Um, this is a, uh, a, a program that benefits schools who need it less and takes those resources from schools that need it more. And so we are leaving out um, schools in economically challenged areas, in rural areas. Um, and uh, the, the argument is that they need the resources more than these high-performing schools. Well, as as you complete uh, your first week in office, um, I love to ask this of people who are taking over new offices. What'd you learn that you didn't think you'd learn in that first week? Yeah, you walked in and thought, oh, wow, that's um, not at all what I thought or so much better than I thought. Oh, it's it's better than I thought. <laughs> uh, it's great. No, um, I think, you know, so many people um, are excited about us coming in. Um, folks that are staying on to support the administration are have been really helpful. And um, there's just a lot of people, no matter their party, that want to work together to make government work better. So that's what we're focused on. All right, Governor. Well, thanks for your time. Thank you so much. That was Arizona Governor Katie Hobbs. And that's the buzz for this week. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Zach Ziegler is our producer with production help from Samantha Larned. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer, and our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.